When I were chatting and praying before the service, uh, that verse from Romans 8 came to my mind. Uh, that uh, the, uh, our present sufferings are not worth comparing uh, to the glory that will be revealed in us. And the, the challenge of this week, really, for me, is, is that the glory that will be revealed in us is next week. And uh, the present sufferings are this week. Uh, and uh, perhaps you've been here in our series so far. And last week, we were talking about uh, growing in godliness. And maybe this week you found that to be a battle. You thought, I really want to be more like Jesus. I'm going to be more like a child of God than I am. I'm going to live that out. But my word, it's hard work. And you're, you're thinking, gosh, I, I could be here for another 70 years. And some of you aren't thinking 70 years. You might be thinking 30 years. But you know, you're thinking, gosh, that's a long time. And the glory that we revealed to us is, is a way off in the future. I was uh, chatting, uh, at a com- I was at a conference all week, a uh, uh, preacher's conference. I was chatting to a friend of mine. Uh, his daughter is uh, doing her A-levels and she's struggling with uh, really dark depression at the moment. And I know that for some of us in this congregation we know what that feels like. Uh, and you're thinking, it's hard enough some days just to get up and face today. Thinking about the next 30, 40, 50, 60 years and keeping going is hard, isn't it? And there'll be any number of other ways in which that's a struggle for different people in this room. But we, we all, from time to time, will think, gosh, it's, it's a long old way, isn't it? How am I going to keep going? That's what we're thinking about today. And I think we're going to pray again, just because uh, we need to fall on God to, to deliver us uh, today. Let's pray. Our Father, it is hard to keep going. And we need to be reminded uh, over these next two weeks why and how. Uh, praise you that you promise that none will snatch out of your hand all those that uh, belong to you. But in uh, our moments of weakness, in the darkness, in our, our deepest struggles, uh, we feel like uh, we can't go on. And so please challenge those who need to be challenged, warn those who need to be warned, and encourage those who need to be encouraged this morning. For the sake of your glory, for our comfort and joy. Amen. I wonder if you ever thought about doing something truly insane. I was reading this week, about a man who was chased by a great white shark. His name is uh, Benoit Lecomte, that's the man, not the shark. Um, he was the first man to swim across the Atlantic. Not quite sure why, much quicker and cheaper to get a plane, but he swam across the Atlantic and he was chased by a great white shark for five days. It was kept at bay by the sonar on the support boat that was following him. But I wonder how you... What you're thinking as you get back in the water the second day. Okay, you know the shark is about 20 metres away and has been following you and will follow you for the next 12 hours as you swim. And if the sonar fails for about 10 seconds, you're toast. So for the whole uh, 12, 14 hours you're swimming that day, you're relying on the, on the sonar to keep that great white from eating you for five days. Some people seem determined to do the maddest things, don't they? Uh, Maybe it's not swimming uh, an ocean, but uh, for some people it's climbing a mountain like Everest or or K2, isn't it? And I'm sure it seems like a good idea to begin with. You know, you're 
in the valley, it's sunny and warm, it's beautiful, the mountains are, are ever so uh, attractive. You're with a bunch of like-minded people. You, you go up to a base camp, you acclimatise, you go up to the next base camp, you acclimatise, it's all great, you're intense, it's, it's a very happy thing. But sooner or later, you're much higher up on the mountain in the freezing cold. The oxygen grows dangerously thin. You could pass out at any moment, and if you're on, on a ledge at that point, that's probably not a good thing. The weather conditions are, are brutal, and they can change in an instant. At that moment, you rely on your team, don't you? You're roped to other people. You rely on uh, the know-how of the guides. Uh, you're relying on your team, and then one by one, people start turning back. Of course, some people like me would never dare to climb the mountain. I just don't see the point myself. I much prefer to be uh, down below. It doesn't seem worth it to me, but there are plenty of people who do. And some of those will, will get a little way up the mountain, won't they? And, and then the, the conditions get a bit too hazardous. And they think, gosh, I'm, actually, I thought this was going to be a jolly, and it's not really a jolly at all. And they start to turn back. First sign of suffering, they're gone. And then there are others, aren't there, who, who get quite a long way up the mountain. They're there day after day, week after week. But as they go, and as they trudge, as the climb gets harder, not easier, you begin to long for reliable Wi-Fi and skinny lattes back down in the valley. You're going that way, but your heart is going the other way. And in the end, you don't quite make it to the top, because your heart's not in it. And so the person who is determined to get to the top not only has to battle with the conditions, they also have to battle with the flakiness of their companions who one after another uh, fall away. And that is, I think, how Jesus describes the Christian life in our reading in Luke chapter 8. This isn't our main passage, but I think it's helpful on this subject of, of perseverance. I want, I want us to look at this passage briefly to see what's at stake for all of us, before we look at, at Hebrews. Now, the picture of the hard climb, I think, is quite helpful as a way to understand the parable. Except, of course, at the top in the parable is not a great view of the Himalayas. It is the kingdom of God. It is eternal life with Jesus. It is uh, the result of the gospel. You have those who hear stories of great views and great challenges conquered in climbing the mountain... And like me, they just don't get it at all. Why would you bother? And so they never begin to climb. Perhaps they're like people who come to church once or twice. But they never, it, it never makes any sense, this following Jesus thing, this heaven and hell thing. It doesn't make any sense at all. And they never begin the Christian life. Then you have the verse 13 people who are really excited about the kingdom. They've heard about the kingdom of God, and this is brilliant. They're full of joy. But as soon as it gets hard, as soon as they face the bad weather of suffering for the gospel, they have to, uh, to make a choice, uh, comfort or, or the kingdom. And that's a, a very early choice for many of us. I, I remember very clearly, after becoming a Christian, going back to my, uh, my dorm with uh, my, my dorm mates, and one of them in particular was very hostile and started grilling me 20 questions on my understanding of the Bible. I mean, I didn't know anything really. And he was just, he was so livid that I would think that being a Christian was a good thing. 
For others, it'll be uh, a boyfriend, girlfriend, it'll be a parent, it'll be a group of friends who just think you're being so foolish. You've moved from the inside to an outsider group. You're throwing your life away. It's mental. And at that point, we have the choice, don't we? The kingdom or comfort, inside or outside. Will we keep going? The second soil are people who start full of joy, but quickly give up. I think the the third type of soil is much more scary for us in verse 14. They're the ones who keep going for a long time, but their hearts uh, drift away from it. They they don't really care about getting to the top anymore. They they keep going to church, but really they're dreaming about the valley, the the world around them. They look like they're going to make it to the end. Perhaps they're even in, in, in senior service in the church. But it's a love of this world, it's uh, riches and pleasures that prevent them putting their heart into it. And so they never really make it to the end. And I think, if I'm honest, that's the the most scary thing about the Christian life. Uh, You set up with a bunch of mates, don't you? And you're looking at 50 or, or 80 years down the line, please do pray for the children in Sunday school at the moment. Some of them will face a hundred years of having to keep on going, keep going, to make it to the end of the Christian life. And our 80 years, our 50 years, we we have on the one side persecutions, on the other side, attractive distractions to draw us away from Christ. And it's a long time. And over time, we start to see our friends giving up. Perhaps you already know of one or two people who, uh, in the words of verse 13, have fallen away. See, that's the scary thing about the parable of the sower. Uh, All of these people, all of the four types of soils are people who are in church. It'd be really easy, wouldn't it, to to have two groups of people, those who are in church and those who are in the world. But Jesus doesn't do that. He doesn't really talk about the worldly people at all. He talks about four groups of people in the church. And he says only one of the types of people makes it to the end of the Christian life as Christians. The two questions we're facing over uh, these last two sermons in the series are quite simple. Uh, The question for next week is, why should I keep going? Is it worth it? I'll let you into a secret. It is, and it'll be a a great time, a really happy time. I'm excited for it. I'd rather be doing that sermon than this one, to be honest with you. It's going to be fun and full of joy. Please come back next week particularly those who've been here this week. But we have to address the question of how do we keep going? We're we're between uh, coming to Christ and getting to final glory. We're in the overlap of the ages uh, where the flesh and the world and the devil are against us. How are we going to keep going for the next 30, 50, 80 years? Do you know what verse 15 says about what distinguishes Uh, This group, the group that keep going from the rest. The seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who, and now hear this, this is what matters, this is where our talk is going. Hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, produce a crop. In other words, you persevere to the end by persevering, which is enormously helpful, I think. Uh, Jesus says real Christians produce kingdom fruit in the end. They grow in godliness, that's what we saw last week. They keep going at keeping going. 
which still begs the question, what does that mean? How do I persevere in persevering? And that brings us to our main text this morning, uh, back in Hebrews chapters 3 and 4. This is precisely what the book of Hebrews is about, I think. It is a a letter from an unknown author to a, a church who are in danger of not keeping going. He says, you really, really ought to. Jesus is so much better than anything else in the world. You really should keep going. And that will be our subject next week. Why we should keep going. Our writer makes clear the danger that our our audience here are in. In a couple of places on either side of our text. Just flick over to uh, chapter 5 verse 11. We have much more to say about this. That is the stuff we're about to look at. But it's hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand They've become lazy of hearing. They're not hearing, retaining and persevering in the the language of Luke 8.15. They started out well, but their hearts and ears have grown fat. They sit in church, but their ears are tuning out of everything that's important. Perhaps, you you know that experience, occasionally that happens, doesn't it? Uh, You just... Your, your mind's on lunch or the shopping list or that problematical relationship at work. Uh, perhaps that's you this morning. Perhaps you've only just tuned into what I'm saying and I'm saying, please do keep tuning in. Perhaps you know that as a longer-term experience. Just, I've just grown a little bit less excited about the gospel. I'm just a bit more likely to plan things on a Sunday morning. And miss church. I'm just a bit more interested in my kids' performance at school than I am about their spiritual welfare. I'm just growing a bit dull spiritually. And these are warning signs, says Hebrews chapter 5. I'll flick back to chapter 2 and verse 1. Here he states with force that we must be completely. Uh, obsessed with, uh, devoted to the word of God, or we'll be lost. 2 verse 1. We must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we will not drift away. That lazy hearing he talked about in chapter 5 is in verse 3 here. Um, Ignoring so great a salvation. So I had trouble finding verse 3 for a moment there. Growing fat and dull of hearing and of heart is ignoring such a great salvation. Do you see? They've heard the, the wonderful word with a spectacular promise. Think about it. The team climbing Everest, what do they get if they make it to the top? I mean, they get to keep their lives. They get a view, some photographs, maybe a bit of celebrity back in their hometown. Maybe they get invited back to their school to talk about what it was like to climb Everest. And that's it. We have a spectacular promise of a great salvation. And the Hebrews here are in danger of ignoring it. They've they've grown spiritually fat. They're distracted. They're being drawn away. Same idea as, as Jesus has in Luke 8. Uh, the picture here in verse 1 is, is of a canoe on the Amazon. You know, it's a very long river. A river is moving, and sometimes it's moving quite fast. And it's about to separate into two different courses. Uh, the lazy man pricks up his oars and just goes, I'll go where it goes. 
That's fine, I'll just go with the flow. It doesn't really matter where it goes, so long as it goes somewhere. It's much easier just to go with the flow, isn't it? Now, that person ends up in Chile on, on the Pacific coast, in my illustration. The diligent person is thinking, I, I've actually got a destination in mind. I actually want to get somewhere. I want to get to the Atlantic, not the Pacific. And my ship home is at the, on the Brazilian coast, not the Chilean coast. And right here, I've got a choice. It seems such a trivial choice, doesn't it? That the, the river just parts in two ways. They're right next to each other. They don't look very different to each other. And yet, in the end, you're 5,000 miles from where you want to be. Now, the person who is diligent at this point knows the route he wants to take and rows and rows to get there. It's harder work. And the writer to the Hebrew says, you're in danger of drifting and drifting away. See, only one of those two watercourses brings us to salvation. The other is deafening, it is dulling, it is fat-hearted, it is ignoring the word about such a great salvation and it is to miss out. That is the danger. It's the danger in Hebrews, it's the danger for us. And so by now I hope what you're asking is, okay, how do I keep going? I don't want to drift and end up in the wrong place. How do I keep going? That's where our passage in Hebrews chapter 3 and 4 uh, is addressing the question of drifting with a sermon. It's a helpful sermon because it is a sermon on a, on a biblical text, Psalm 95. You'll see the, the sort of indented bit, verses 7, 8, 9, 10, 11. That's the passage for then what is explained in the rest of the text. And it's a passage about a perpetual problem for the church. Uh, Psalm 95 was written uh, maybe um, five, six hundred years, maybe more after the events that it's recounting, the wilderness wanderings. Okay, so just notice how this works, okay? You've got a, a historical event. Uh, God's people are, uh, escape from Egypt. And between Egypt and the Promised Land, which is about an 11-day walk, they drift. They spend 40 years wandering around in the desert because they refuse to go in. They drift, and all of the adult males of that generation fall in the wilderness. They all fall away. They drift. They stop believing the promise, stop believing the God of the promise, and they drift. This image is then picked up in Psalm 95. Hundreds of years later, they're in the land now. Perhaps even come out the other side of the land in exile. And here again, our writer says, you're about to go back to the land. Don't drift. That is then picked up by the writer of Hebrews some 600 years later and says, you're about to do the same thing again. So notice verse 7, the beginning of our passage. So, as the Holy Spirit says, says, not said... What God said through the psalmist back then, he says again to the, the Hebrews as his living word today. And by God's grace, it comes to us today. So that our writer says, as the Holy Spirit says to Christ Church Earlsfield today. And we are in just the same danger that God's people were in the first century in the 5th, 6th century BC, in the 12th, 12th, uh, 12th century BC. 
The question perpetually for the church is, how do you keep going? It's a warning passage, not because we were all going to fall away, but it is God's gracious means of stopping us from thinking too casually about the Christian life. We're going to save the full riches of this passage for uh, when we do Hebrews in our small groups next year. But I want you just to to see four things that our writer says in unpacking this uh, passage of of Psalm 95 for his readers. And the first thing he says is, uh, there is a danger of unbelief. That's 3 verses 12 to 19. The conclusion, I think, in verse 19 is pretty clear, isn't it? So we see that they were not able to enter, that is, the rest, the promised land, because of unbelief. They didn't make it to the end. They fell on the way. And the problem here is is manifested for us in verse 12. He begins his sermon with, See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. Why is an unbelieving heart such a problem? Because it is the opposite of faith. That word unbelief literally means anti-faith. That's what it means. Uh, Turning away from the living God. That's repentance in reverse. Repentance is turning to God in faith. And uh, this drifting is turning away from God in unbelief. Here were the people of God rescued through ten plagues through the Red Sea. Manna miraculously given at day after day for them to eat, a pillar of fire guiding them through the desert. They hear God's voice at Sinai. And what do they do with all of that? They make a golden calf. They grumble about the food. They refuse to enter the land because they find the people in the land a bit scary. And they turn from God's command and God's promises because they just don't believe that he can deliver. After all of that. And so they fall outside the promised land as unbelievers. They started, they were rescued, but they never made it to the end. And our writer says, you should be afraid. It's what verse uh, 1 of chapter 4 says. Uh, We have this example repeated in the exile, now repeated in the first century, and the writer says to them, be afraid. The logic is clear, isn't it? 4 verse 1, therefore, because of that, this, he says, let us be careful which is a weedy translation, if I'm honest. Uh, The verb there is phobeomai, from which we get phobia. You're not careful about things that you're afraid of, are you? You're afraid of things that you're afraid of. If you're an arachnophobe, you're not careful about spiders. You're staying away from spiders. You're afraid of spiders. Somebody else has to deal with the spiders. If you're up on the mountain ledge and you are afraid of the the thousand-foot drop in front of you, You are alert, you're attentive, you're paying careful attention because you're afraid you're going to die. That's what he's saying here. Be afraid of drifting, afraid of falling. Be afraid because the same promise given to you was given to them and they missed out, verses 1 to 5. They heard the promise but their hearing was met with unbelief, not faith, anti-faith, verse 2. For we have had the good news proclaimed to us just as they did. But they didn't obey. They didn't keep pushing on into the land. And since they refused to go in, God decided in his anger, they shall never enter my rest. I've offered it to you. 
I've made it perfectly easy for you to go in and you will not have it, so I'm taking it away. They were promised a glorious land, which, by the way, we're looking at next week, is much greater than simply the land of Israel. But they preferred the wilderness. Safer to be here in this barren wasteland where there are no enemies than than risking everything to follow God's promise. The promise isn't enough. Faith in the promise is essential. Do you see that? That it's not enough for God to have rescued and not enough for God to have made a promise. You have to meet those things with faith. It's worth it, okay. It's definitely worth it. But they just couldn't see God delivering. Somehow it felt like pie in the sky and not cake on your plate while you wait. So that they hankered after Egypt. We'd rather be slaves again but have cucumbers to eat. That's literally what they say. That's outrageous, isn't it? And they fell away. They'd rather be here than there. That's the point. And our writer says, be afraid lest the same promise given to you is met with the same unbelief. Oh, it won't start there. It'll just be a bit of dullness of hearing and of heart. You'll just stop reading your Bible as much. Stop asking for genuine prayer in Bible study. Just be a bit less keen on, on church. Uh, maybe more interested in taking the kids to the ballet or the football or to play some golf or just Anything. Almost anything can calcify our hearts. We begin to drift with the culture. In case we're confused, not only is the promise the same, but the fulfilment is actually the same. Verses 8 to 11, our writer points out that the land of Canaan wasn't the promised land after all. Uh, Psalm 95 is written uh, long after they've got into the land, and yet it promises rest further on. They've already got the land of rest, but the land of rest was always only a picture of God's eternal rest. Uh, The Sabbath rest of verse 9 is the new creation. Take a look at verse 9. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Uh, The Sabbath rest. Rest from works, verse 10. Rest from hardship. Now is hard. Now is the climb. Now is the battle with sin and the temptation to give up. And our writer responds, verse 11, Therefore make every effort to enter the rest, so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. Do you hear the beginning of the answer? How do I keep going? Strive. Make every effort. Strain yourself like a rower on their oar trying to take the right path. Moreover, it's, it's together, did you notice that? So that no one will perish. Look around your church. No one is to perish here. No one is to be soils one to three in this room today. Strive together so that nobody drifts. We want to be Atlantic Christians, not Pacific non-Christians. Do you see the difference? And we need each other. We need to remind each other. You might be in a great place, a strong place. You're totally persevering at the moment, but your spouse isn't or your friend isn't. You you might be thinking, that that person, I haven't seen them at church for for two, three, four weeks. I just wonder whether maybe they're beginning to get dull. Just beginning to harden their hearts. 
make every effort. Of course, that brings us again to the question of why. What is this rest? And I, I, I keep getting there and thinking, I've got to stop because that's next week. Come back next week, it'll be great. But for now, the question is, okay, when should we strive then? How should we strive? When should we strive? Some of you are younger than me, and you'll be thinking, gosh, I might have another 70 years. And that's a lot. A lot of temptations, a lot of persecutions, a lot of hard times. Our writer says, stop thinking about 70 years and simply listen today. Verse 6. Therefore, since it still remains for some to enter that rest, and since those who formerly had the good news proclaimed to them did not go in because of their disobedience, God again set a certain day, calling it today. This he did when a long time later he spoke through David, as in the passage already quoted, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Pretty straightforward, isn't it? If there's a day called today, this passage applies. Don't harden your heart. I think it's still today. Today, isn't it? So today, don't worry about tomorrow. Today, listen carefully lest we begin to drift. Today, don't meet the promise of entering rest with unbelieving fat hearts and deaf ears. Today, strive with all your effort to enter. We really want to talk about rest, don't we? We want to get there. What is it? Why should I strive? If you're unclear on that, ask a friend. Come and talk to me afterwards. I'd love to explain it to you. Next week is going to be epic, guys. Do come. Perhaps there are some of us here who've who've never actually started to respond to Jesus. We've always stayed in the valley. Never begun the climb. Can I say, our passage says to you, today, hear his voice. Make a decision to follow him and he will keep you to the end. For now, can you see the command is hear his voice today. And if you do that day after day after day, you will find that that is the way that God will keep you to the end. Hear the word, love the promise, love the saviour, Keep repenting, keep believing God's words, keep trying to live as God's children, battling sin. Of course, that, that still begs the question, it? how do I know that's enough? It seems so straightforward. Just read my Bible, say my prayers, keep believing, keep walking with my Christian family. Just today, whatever that looks like for you today. Is that really going to be the thing that keeps me going for the next 60 years of today's? I think the simple answer is yes, because that is what God has told us we have to do. It is the means that God has given for us to keep going. Not to worry about 60 years, you might be hit by a bus tomorrow. Worry about today. But also, our second point, and we really are near the end, I promise. God keeps us going. It's not just that he he says, keep going in this way. It is God who keeps us going. Do you remember back in chapter uh, in Romans 8.30, we started our whole series with it a couple of months ago, uh, with these words. 
Those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. That's the, the spine of this order of salvation we've been looking at over these eight weeks. But do you hear what he's saying? God chose us, and everyone that God chose, he called, and everyone that he called, he justified, and everyone he justified will make it to the end. In terms of the parable of the soul, which is why I raised it, we need to see the difference between what God sees and what we see. God sees the fourth soil very clearly. He calls the fourth soil people, and they will make it to the end. They will make it to the end. They're people who persevere in hearing Isn't that what Jesus says? They hear the word, they retain it, they persevere in believing it. They will produce a crop, they will be in the new creation. That's what God sees. We don't see that. We see see soils two, three and four in church, don't we? And so we're distressed and distracted by people who fall away. Soils three and four. People who don't make it to the end. We think God is giving up on them. And the writer to the Hebrew says, don't worry about that. Be the people who hear the way God says to hear, and you will be soil for people. That's the point. There's a warning there, isn't there? If we're lazy in our hearing, lazy in our believing, we put ourselves at risk. There is a warning there. That's the scary part. But if you are a a listening to the word today person, if you respond to that word with faith, if you strive hard to help each other, to obey God, live as his children, hate sin, repent, believe, all the things we've been thinking about over the last couple of weeks, if that is how you're responding to the word this morning, if you're holding fast to the promise of rest, then know this, that is how God will keep you to the end. It is the way that God will make you persevere. It's not just how you keep yourself. It is how God keeps you. God says to you this morning, this is how I'm going to keep you. You worry about today and how you're responding. And I'll take care of the next 50 years. How's that sound as a deal? All those who are mine will keep going. Which means, and let us hear this. Everyone who will make it to the end will make it to the end in this way and no other. There is no other way to get to the top of the mountain, to get to the end of the race and still be a Christian than this. This is the thing that God says. Keep hearing, keep believing, keep striving today. And then when you wake up tomorrow, go again. Don't worry about tomorrow. Each day has got enough worries of its own. And in the face of those trials and struggles, just keep going today. I was thinking about my my friend's daughter. She said, Dad, the tunnel is so long. The light is so far away. What is the Hebrew's response when days like that come? When weeks and months like that come? Just keep believing the gospel today. In the middle of really hard times, don't grow dull. Don't allow sin to deceive you when temptation flares up. 
And, and, and if we are going off the, spoil, the, the boil spiritually, friends, please beware. The warning is real. The history of the church declares that it's real. Well, let me just step back as I end this morning. These two sermons have been about something very simple, really, last week and this week. The Christian life is about living for the new creation, and we'll get there next week. I, if I was redoing this series, I'd have put that one at the front of the series. I realise that now. Because so much of it, everything else that's happened has been about getting us there. That's the whole thing, the whole series. God is taking us there. That's what it's all about. I can't wait. It's about holding fast to the promise of God today. Keep on repenting. Keep believing. Keep fighting sin today. Keep loving one another, bearing with each other, living as children of God today. What a privilege we have. Be who you are. Be who you're going to be today. And one day we will wake up and the climb will be over. The dangers will all be past. And there won't be any need for striving anymore. But that's next week. Shall I pray? Our Father, you know our hearts better than we can know our own hearts. And you know that, that there may be all four soils in this room. Please show us what we're like. Show us if we are being led to dullness by sin or suffering or the darkness of depression help us uh, each of us to commit to hearing your word and believing your promise that the rest still is on offer to anyone who will believe meet that promise with faith our father cause uh, all of us to be stirred up to uh, a striving faith uh, a living it out faith today that you might keep us, each one of us, and the church all together to the end, that we might get to that uh, wonderful day when the striving is over and our faith becomes sight. Uh, we long for it in our better moments, cause our hearts to long for it and believe it every today. For the sake of your name. Amen.